indeed we do need a revolution, a re revolution of love, of health, of critical thinking. Um, you're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and I'm giving a shout out to my husband today to tell him I'm going to try not to say um quite so often. So <laughs> very difficult to do live, right? Just spinning off in here. I'm about to say, I can feel an I'm coming, but I won't do it. So if you're up here in the Pacific Northwest, it's pouring down rain. I hope everybody is getting home safely and, and to wherever it is you need to be. In this uh, crazy times here, we wanna stay as safe as possible. Um, I See, there I go. I didn't feel it coming. <laughs> I wanna tell you guys, as I did have for the past couple of weeks, there's a lot of marketing, a lot of money going into pushing the flu vaccine. Please do your homework, take the time to dive in. If after you read all of the research, you feel it's your best choice, fantastic. I believe in medical freedom, but go find out the missing information that the marketing is not telling you. Go to informedchoicewa.org, search for flu, go to Children's Health Defense, um, .org and search for flu, you can find information. It was, I think, the 2018-19 flu season. I don't have it right there at my fingertips, but that year, if you were 65 or older, flu vaccination increased your risk of getting the flu by 43%. It was for the H3 and 2 strain, I believe it was. So please do your research before you make that decision because there is a lot of science saying that it can make you more susceptible to other infections. And then look at your alternatives of what you can do to support your immune system to get through any season, vitamin D, vitamin C, go research those. I wanna update everybody on a few things going on in Washington state where you can have your voice heard. It's really important to know what your government is doing at various times. So right now, coming up October 5th, the House Health Care and Wellness Committee is scheduled to have a work session on COVID-19 outbreak and response and rural health care system. These work se sessions are very important. The health care committee will meet, they'll bring in experts, usually people from the Department of Health, the side of medical freedom and um, criticism of how things are being handled are rarely, if ever, brought in on the discussion. So your voice needs to be heard. If you are not, if you have concerns about how COVID-19 is being handled, let the healthcare committee know about that so they can make really good questions on your behalf. That's what they're there to do. And contact your elected um, officials as well. If you go to Inform Choice Washington to our advocacy and mission tab on the menu is a take action now link. And there's links there to the things I'm talking about now. On October the 13th, the staff of the Board of Health will be presenting our petition. So some of you might not be aware of it, but Informed Choice Washington and more than 645 petitioners now have asked the Board of Health to ask the Secretary of Health to convene a committee of healthcare practitioners, frontline doctors who have developed effective working on the shelf treatment protocols 
that can prevent severe disease and improve outcomes. Um, we don't need to live in fear. These wonderful frontline doctors have figured it out. And, and the um, protocols range from nutrients to drugs to combination. If we bring all these people together so they can talk about their experience and make it available to the public, we can begin to move forward in life and kind of let go of all this fear that's happening. That's October 13th. And on October 14th, there's a joint legislative, legislative executive committee on planning for aging and disability issues. And they're gonna be talking about COVID-19 impacts on individuals with developmental dis disabilities. This has been huge in Washington state and other states. A lot of the resources that parents with disabled children count on to get through have not been available to them. And um, I know one family in particular that are just devastated because they desperately need some respite care for a severely um, autistic child. And because he, he actually has a medical exemption to vaccination because he's susceptible to future vaccine injury. Respite house, some respite houses will not take a child unless they're fully vaccinated and they are not accepting medical exemptions. I don't know how this is ethical, moral, or legal. So there's a lot of work to do here. There's a lot of work. Uh, I think that's about it for news. Again, you can find that on the Informed Choice Washington website, links to where you can go, how you can comment. Once you do this a couple of times, you'll see it's really easy, doesn't take a lot of time. You don't have to write something brilliant, just a couple of sentences, you know, speak from your heart, let them know what's going on. Uh, we lost a great woman recently, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader um, Ginsburg. She was a champion in the fight against the corporate control of public health and the disintegration of consumer protection that's happening in the field of um, medical health and medical freedom. Um, there was one decision recently in 2011 I guess that's not really recently, nine years ago now, about the National Vaccine Injury Act where the Supreme Court decided that even if a vaccine is found to have a flawed design, the manufacturer is not responsible for injury or death from that product. This decision took away any last vestige of incentive for manufacturers to improve the safety of their products. The Supreme Court made this ruling with two dissents, and it was Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor and Ginsburg who dissented. And I wanna to read to you, because it's one of my favorite dissents of all time. Let me see, I gotta turn so I can get the right here. Oh, here we go. So this is what they wrote. The majority's decision leaves a regulatory vacuum in which no one, neither the FDA, nor any federal agency, nor state and federal juries ensure that vaccine manufacturers adequately take account of scientific and technological advancements. This concern is especially acute with respect to vaccines that have already been released and marketed to the public. Manufacturers, given the lack of robust competition in the vaccine market, will often have little or no incentive to improve the designs of vaccines that are already generating significant profit margins. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that's where we are today in this COVID chaos with vaccines going a million miles an hour and billions of dollars thrown at them. 
And already in the United States, they have been given liability protection under the PREP Act. Uh, where really is the incentive? So keep an eye out, watch very closely. We need all hands on deck now for consumer protection. Many are harmed by vaccines, but very few are counted. That's a whole other show. We won't go into it. It'll take too long. Um, some of those harmed aren't counted at all because if you end up with an injury that leads to symptoms that are put under this umbrella they call autism, which is a catch-all umbrella, then there you're stuck and the courts say, nah, vaccines can't cause autism. They can cause encephalopathy and encephalopathy, you know, can lead to symptoms of autism, but that's a line they have not yet, or they've only crossed in very closed cases. Um, so does everybody exposed to environmental uh, toxins get autism? No, of course not. Does everybody who smoke get cancer? No. Does that mean smoking doesn't cause cancer? Of course not. Genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. And we live in such a polluted world with so many chemicals and things bombarding our children just being human seems like is a is a genetic susceptibility to having some sort of immunological or neurological issue happen so today's guest is an amazing mom who when faced with a diagnosis of autism for her child decided she was going to dive in deep and do everything that she could to find out what was going on and give her child the best opportunity for a good life that she could. She wrote a book after her experience called I Know You're In There, Winning Our War Against Autism. And this is the book's description. It's an inspirational book. It's the story of her son's recovery. The experts said that her son Ryan would need to be institutionalized, but they were wrong. Ryan is now an engineer at a major aerospace space company. Ryan's recovery was not miraculous. It was the result of receiving proper medical care. Marsha shares uh, their story of hope as only a mother can and will make you rethink autism. An autism diagnosis no longer has to mean game over. When a child's health can be restored by treating hidden viruses and infections, then recovery becomes possible. And with that, I want to say welcome, Marsha. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's so good to be here. And I agree with everything you said that autism is just a word we use to describe a bunch of symptoms um, that are different in every child. Yeah. You know, I was once where many of your listeners probably are now, overwhelmed by my son's diagnosis and scared out of my mind for my child's future. Um, you know, I, I had those crazy thoughts, will my child uh, be able to live independently? Who's gonna take care of him when I'm no longer here? And those were the things that kept me up at night. And I'm sure those are the things that keep your listeners up at night for their children. Mm -hmm. But uh, like you said, an autism diagnosis no longer has to mean game over. If our children get the proper medical treatment and care, then they can learn what they couldn't before. And um, all those things like uh, rehabilitation therapy actually work. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the tragedies in all of this has been a message 
put out there that if you are working to improve the symptoms of autism, improve a lot of the com comorbidities that often go along with autism, gastrointestinal is issues and all of that, in the attempt to help your child overcome and become their best self, that somehow you are not honoring who they are, which doesn't make sense to me because our children are not their diagnosis, right? Um, you, you are, if you, if you get a diagnosis of cancer, you are not cancer. You are a beautiful human Absolutely. being who has, and so I feel like it's honoring the children to help yeah. each child become their very best self as best we can. And by treating the autism symptoms, we're allowing our children to be who they were supposed to be before autism came into our lives. And if I may, I'd like to read you something that my son wrote. It's in the uh, beginning of my book, and it covers this point exactly. Okay. This is what Ryan said about autism. Some people think we should just accept autism and that if a child is treated, it changes who that kid is. I'm still the same person I was, only now I'm happy and I can enjoy life. It's hard to understand that children are not receiving proper medical treatment because some people think we should just celebrate autism. When doctors believe the medical issues associated with autism are just part of a developmental disorder, children are not treated for the same medical conditions as every other kid. Is that really okay? And I thought he nailed it. Yeah. He nailed, yeah. you know, I mean, Sometimes that kid just surprises me. <laughs> I love that. When we listen to the children, the wisdom of the children. And, you know, I, I think it's so important to word it differently. Don't celebrate autism. Celebrate children with autism. Celebrate children and adults with autism and help them improve their symptoms to live the best life they possibly can. You know, that And reach their full potential. These yeah. children are brilliant, most of them. And a lot of people don't realize that because they can't communicate. Yeah, it, it, I wonder if that goes along with like some of the genetic component of, of susceptibility. There seems to be, I don't, you know, there. I, I agree with you. I think so. Because I talk to parents from all over and the parents I talk to are engineers and they're computer programmers and they're these people who have done these amazing things. And they have a kid who can't communicate with them. Yeah. And there's just too many of them not to have some sort of genetic component, like you said. Yeah. So, so tell us what, how did all this begin for you? Was, was um, a, a normal, a normal birth and baby infanthood, infancy was all no, that normal or? Nothing was normal from the beginning. My husband seems to think it started later. Ryan received his first vaccination when he was two days old, and that was for Hep B. And it, how was that back when there was thimerosal, mercury thimerosal yes, vaccine? Yes. Okay. And for me, looking back, you know, I've uh, I was always pro-vax, and all of us were pro-vax until autism came into our lives. Then we sort of became ex-vaxers, and it's not that. Um, autism vaccines cause autism. There are certain things in our children, like my son has something called the MTHFR gene mutation. And that means that he cannot 
process certain things in our environment that a normal immune system can process. So for normal kids, a vaccine is not going to change who they are. But for someone like Ryan, who can't, you know, deal with the heavy metals and things like that, that they put in vaccines as preservatives, it can change who he is. And the interesting part is I have the MTHFR gene mutation. And I started taking something that Ryan takes, and it's called Leucovorin, and it is a medication um, that helps our kids methylate better and helps them get rid of the bad things in their body faster. And once I started taking it, it was like somebody lifted the brain fog from my head, and all hmm. of a sudden I could concentrate and remember things. Oh, that's interesting. What, yeah, what and is even the name my that? blood pressure went down. And it's funny because Dr. Yeah. Fry is on the front of my book. He has a quote on the front and he's the MTHFR gene mutation guru. Yeah. I was talking to him when I needed a blurb for the book. And I said, Dr. Fry, do you know if, if Leucovorin helps with blood pressure? And Dr. Fry's a little heavy set. And he goes, no, I don't know. And I said, well, it's really strange because I still eat bad. I still sit in front of the computer and don't move. And the only thing I've changed is I started taking Leucovorin and my blood pressure is so much better. And he says, I'm going to have to try that. How much do you take? Oh, no. <laughs> laughing. And I said, 50 milligrams, exactly what you told me to take. You know, he yeah. such a cutie because, you know, he actually... I was at Autism One with him, and I asked him, what works better, Leucovorin or Deplin, for the MTHFR gene mutation? And he says, Leucovorin, hands down, you know, and... Uh, yeah, I, I, can you spell for us that what it is that you're saying, Leucovorin? Leucovorin, it's L-E-U-C-O-V-O-R-I-N. But if anybody needs help, all they have to do is email me, and I can send them an email that has the medications and the interventions that helped Ryan the most. Okay. I am not a doctor, but I do have the medications from doctor's books in that email. Okay, that, that's fantastic. And what's your email address? It's Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at autismandtreatment.com. And it's the word and spelled out with no spaces. Okay, I have that. If anybody can see my um, screen, if they're on the YouTube, I've got your address up there behind oh, me and picture you. of your book. <laughs> and it's also and on- doctors by location from all over the country. So if you email me, tell me where you live and I'll tell you my doctor list from your area. Are these maps doctors? Is that, was that the right Some term? of them are maps doctors. Some of them are not. Um, you know, the doctor who helped my son the most wasn't listed anywhere. So mm -hmm. a lot of times you just need a doctor who's willing to work with these medications um, to help your children. And, you know, a lot of people, when they look up what these medications are, they get kind of concerned because, you know, you, you read all this stuff, it's going to affect the liver, it's going to affect the kidney. But if you do regular blood tests every two to three months, if there's a problem and you do one medication at a time, so you can tell which medication is causing the problem, mm -hmm. um, you'll see 
before it does any damage and you stop that medicine, you know, if mm -hmm. it's affecting the kidney or the liver. Mm -hmm. and Ryan has been on these medications since he was four years old. He's now 32 mm. and still has never had an irregular liver or kidney reading. Wow. So okay. I think they're relatively safe for most people. So um, I squirreled as I often do. And you were starting to tell us like the beginning when you first, you know, got the diagnosis, what was happening? Um, did he ever speak um, when he, he was little? Words. And it's kind of interesting because my husband and I were both um, applied behavior therapists under Dr. Ivar Lovas as undergraduates at UCLA before Ryan was ever born, 15 years before. And um, the kids that we worked with had no speech at all. So I assume that since he had a word or two that he couldn't have autism and that was really wrong. Um, he, you know, he, what he would do is he would go around the house with this stupid little portable radio that I hated and he'd plug it in and out every outlet over and over again. And he would turn on the lights and turn off the lights and turn on the water and turn off the water. And he'd do these things all day long. And, you know, if I had wanted to, he would have been happy to continue doing all these things and I wouldn't have had to do anything. But he had to join up with the rest of the world and, you know, he had to get better. And fortunately, we found a doctor who started him on the antifungal medications. And before he started that medication, even though I knew all of the um, techniques to work with these kids, I couldn't teach him to stop biting and squeezing his sister. He would bite and squeeze her till she cried. And she was three mm -hmm. and a half years older than him. And Megan would say to me, mom, can I hit him? And I <laughs> no. when he's better, you can hit him. And <laughs> between them today because whenever he ticks her off she'll just haul off and slug him real hard and then they both laugh you know of course he towers over her but um it you know he didn't know what anything was he couldn't communicate he he would bite and squeeze her he'd make weird noises he'd he'd walk on his toes he'd take his hands like this you know and look at him like that and no matter what I did, I couldn't stop that behavior until we started the medical stuff. Mm -hmm. Once he started on the antifungals, he was able to learn what he couldn't before. He was able to learn using those techniques. Those mm -hmm. techniques are important. I mean, they taught him how to be. And it's really interesting because I have a mommy in New York who calls me a lot when she's up on the ledge and she's ready to jump. And, you know, she called me recently and I said, oh, hi, how are you doing? You know, because every time she calls, I kind of brace myself because I'm afraid it's going to be bad and I'm going to feel as bad as she does, you know. Mm -hmm. And she called me up and she says, I have something to tell you. And I said, what? She goes, well, Dr. Bowie, who's one of the big autism specialists, started my son on antifungals and my five-year-old started speaking for the first time. And he told me that he loves me. And then oh my we cried together because that wow. was so wonderful. And then she said to me, how come Dr. Bowie doesn't know what you know? And I said, it's not that he's a bad doctor. I said, it's just that I studied Ryan like a little lab rat for 20 years. 
And it took me a really long time to learn this stuff. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. But the one mistake I never made was I never gave up. I kept going no matter how hard it got. Yeah, so much about healing, recovery that has been discovered has come from moms and dads, but a lot of mom driven, refusing to give up that mother's love, that instinct that I love the title of your book. I know you're in there because you can see in, you know, in their eyes and, you know, they're, they're trapped. And, yeah. you know, what is amazing to me is over the past decade, the revolution of science in the gut brain connection, right? We know that, you know, what happens in the gut impacts the brain exactly. and for there not to be this huge universal um, embracing of uh, looking at gastrointestinal issues, um, infection issues, anything that interrupts, you know, there's a lot of things pre-cradle. So when the mother is, you know, um, pregnant and then the first two, three years of life, that our children are exposed to at very critical stages of immune development and um, neurological development. How, and what was it like 2015, 16? It was discovered that the lymphatic system is, enters the brain, connected to the brain. Until this discovery, scientists actually thought that the blood brain barrier prevented the lymphatic system entering the brain. And it was huge headline news, at least in the scientific community. And one, I think it was University of Virginia's headline said, we have to rewrite all the textbooks. Everything they thought they knew about what was neurological and what was immunological suddenly were entangled. And they were talking about looking at neurological um, developmental issues, Alzheimer's, all sorts of things. And this immediately, in a very honest, non-drug industry controlled world, would have sent every vaccine maker to the drawing table and everybody looking at all of the children whose parents have said, my child changed after a vaccine. My child changed, something changed here. They would have gone back and looked at that, but it's the mothers driving it forward. The science is there. Yes, but you know, I have to tell you, even when I started writing this book, which it took me about 10 years to write it, but at the beginning, I used to keep journals of funny things that my kids did when they were little. And sometimes mm -hmm. with Brian, it was hard to find those funny things, but I kind of wrote down what was going on. So I went back in that journal and I looked because I was very pro-vax. And I noticed that after he got his MMR, so much went away. Mm -hmm. That really surprised me because I didn't think it, I didn't remember it that way. Mm -hmm. There it was in black and white in my journal. Yeah. Gathering better data is so very important. That's where we're going to leave it for now. We're going to take um, a few minute break and hear from some um, organizations that we very much support. So you're listening to 1150 AM KKNW and Informed Life Radio.
Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. So you know, all healing begins in the cells. And for the cells to do their job, well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.
Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. You're with Bernadette Pager, your host, and Marsha Hines, autism mom who, you know, went on a journey to bring her son to recovery from being nonverbal and difficulty learning all the way to what is it you said he is a aerospace engineer? <laughs> yes, he's an aerospace engineer. That that is so wonderful. Um, you know, incredible because you know he's working from home now, so he comes out here every once in a while, and I sit there, and I listen to him talk to all the customers, you know, that he's talking to, and I'm sitting there thinking, who the heck is this kid? What do you do with my son? Yeah. He's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he was really uh, not high functioning. People always ask me that, where it's your son high functioning. And he was severely affected. And at first, even I didn't believe that he could get better. And most of what I did in the beginning was so I could tell myself I did everything possible to help him if I ever had to find placement for him in a group home, you know, when I was too old to take care of him. Mm -hmm. So... It's really important for people to keep going and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, it's a question of total load on their immune system. Sometimes even doing very simple things like, you know, laundry detergent. I use all free and clear without perfumes and dyes. It doesn't cost me anymore. And, you know, I don't know if it does anything, <laughs> but it could be taking, you know, a load off. So I use it. Right. Yeah. Well, and fragrances, fake fragrances um, are known to be very hard on the immune system. Yes. Uh, so eliminating those are good, no matter, no matter what. And it is that that system overload. And and every child will be different. Their immune systems will need maybe a slightly different journey. There may be some similarities to right. to the healing but there's not going to be like one magic answer your journey might inform the journeys of other children well i'm so glad you said that because so many people think that if they do one thing it's going to fix their kid mm -hmm. and it's really a bunch of little things together you know that take the total load down that make it so the kids can learn it's not, there is no magic bullet out there because I know, because I searched everywhere for it. There's certain things coming up that I think are going to have big consequences, like the work of Dr. James Adams, who is doing microbiota therapy. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote the uh, foreword to the book. Um, and what they're doing is uh, trials. And actually, my mommy's raised a million and a half for him. So he could finish the trials because that's how us mommies are. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to get cures. And, you know, I think stem cells are going to have a big thing in the future. I mean, I don't think they're there yet, but maybe in the yeah. future they will be. I don't yeah. know. There have been some um, preliminary studies done with uh, glimmers of hope. Yes. Uh, that for like Geraldine Dawson, I believe at Duke. I'm not sure where she is, yeah, but has, doing a lot of stuff. With yeah, with, with the, giving the children their own cord blood. Right. And, right. you know, if you give a child their own cord blood from birth and their symptoms improve, it 
it kind of shows you right there that something environmentally happened to them from birth to to this later stage that impacted them even down at that cord blood level and yeah. yeah so it is it is wonderful to see all of these different approaches but we're such complex creatures aren't we yeah. and you know and and the science is so new on it and that to me just the arrogance of so many out there saying, oh, there's nothing you can do. And we have, you know, as if the science is settled. Science is never, ever no, it's never settled. settled. And you know what's really hard, too, is a lot of our specialists have really big egos. And it's hard to get them to listen to moms. And mm -hmm. I remember with my son, the doctor who helped us most, I would have to go on and on for about 10 minutes and I'd have to say, oh, Dr. So-and-so, and I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> not any trouble. Um, you've helped us so much and, you know, Ryan wouldn't be better with everything, without everything you've done for us and we so appreciate it. I have to go on for 10 minutes and then I'd say something like, you know, I think the Diflucan has stopped working and it's time to switch his antifungal to Nizerol. Can we do that? And if I went through the 10 minute dissertation before I did it, he would always do it. But if I didn't, he wouldn't. And yeah. it bothers me that we, I had to do that, that I couldn't just say, you know what? It's time to switch from Diflucan to Nizerol because the Diflucan stopped working because he's taken it for a year, you know? There are, yeah, there's a lot of personalities, I guess, in any field, but in medicine, yes. it does tend to attract. You remind me of one time when my, we were in the hospital when my pop was still alive and, and mama too. And there was a particularly very arrogant um, yes, specialist who walked in the room and my mom said, oh, God has arrived. And he didn't know what to think. <laughs> she was it was so funny. Um, well, yeah. you know, the thing is, is I tell my mommies, you do whatever you have to do to get that doctor to do the meds that are going to help. That, you. Yeah. So, and, you know, you, you did go um, with some pharmaceutical drugs on your healing journey. Did, what did you, what else did you do? What did you do nutrition? Were there foods you had to eliminate? What else was part of your uh, Ryan has always been on a non-dairy diet. He has never been gluten-free like a lot of the um, kids with autism are, but for mm -hmm. him, just eliminating the dairy was enough. And it, the way it happened was I called up uh, the Autism Research Institute because I had a question. And the phone was answered by Dr. Bernard Rimlin himself. I didn't know who he was back then. So I wasn't overly impressed, but I just thought he was a really nice man. And he was trying to help me with my son. And he said, does Ryan do a lot of dairy? And I said, well, kind of, you know, we do a lot of pizza and stuff like that. And he, you know, I was the kind of mom who did fun fruits for breakfast. You know what I mean? Not mm -hmm. nutritional. And he said to me, he didn't say put him on a non-dairy diet because if he would have said that, I might not have done it. He said, why don't you try taking dairy away for a week and give him a glass of milk at the end of that week and see what happens? Well, the change in my son was phenomenal just by eliminating dairy. Yeah. All of a sudden he was more focused. The noises were less. He could concentrate better. And it's odd to me that a food 
would make such a big difference, but it does. It does. And it's not so odd when you realize that your child, all of our children at age, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have the vaccine ingredients in front of me, but maybe at birth, but for sure at two, four and six months and on, they are injected with dairy proteins in their vaccines. Mm -hmm. And if you know, the human body is designed to react in and go on the alert on the attack when something invades it. That's the whole process of vaccination. It doesn't always know that it's not supposed to attack everything in the vaccine. And so, so many children have dairy allergies, um, egg allergies, so many of the allergies, and plus the aluminum skews your immune system toward that uh, allergy profile. Right. So, so if you eliminate something that you trained your child from very early on, you train their immune system to, to cause an inflammation reaction to, mm -hmm. um, and then there's a, there's some really brilliant science out there that goes even deeper. Um, I don't have that like right at my, my fingertips to speak about it eloquently here, but yeah, it, when you, when you begin to see what they were exposed to early on, it makes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense. Well, that eliminating it's, it. It's interesting because we did an allergy blood test with Brian when we started this thing and he was about five. And after we treated his immune system for about two years, we did another allergy blood test. The first one, he was allergic to everything. And I thought, what the heck am I going to feed him? So I only eliminated things in the highly reactive category because otherwise there would have been nothing left to feed him. When we repeated that test several years later, he was hardly allergic to anything because he was standing on two feet. He was no longer on one foot and easy to push over. His immune system was working better. And mm -hmm. the interesting part is we did a um, test called a neurospec. And a neurospec measures blood flow to different areas of the brain. And with Ryan, the doctor who read the test results said, autism, question mark, question mark, question mark. He had never met my son, but just by the blood flow in his brain, he could tell that he had autism. And we repeated that test uh, several years later and the blood flow was much improved and so was Ryan. Now wow. when he entered kindergarten, he was in the third percentile for speech. By fourth grade, he was in the 85th percentile. Mm -hmm. Now, by fifth grade, he was still weird. <laughs> weird things. He wanted friends, but he didn't know how to make them. Because the social is the last to come and the hardest thing to teach. And he would go up to kids and just poke them because he wanted to be their friend. And, you know, they didn't want anything to do with him because, you know, he was annoying. But he's not annoying anymore. And he's <laughs> And he's, he cracks me up more than anybody else. Hmm. And when I need someone to feel sorry for me, I call him because he's so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in, in my experience, you know, in this whole community, all the, the people that I know, it, it's, it's like the title of your book. I know you're in there. Um, people sometimes perceive that they have a lack of empathy. Somebody on the spectrum has mm -hmm. a lack of empathy and a lack of emotion, but 
what they really have is such an overabundance of reaction and emotion to the world. They can't, it, it crushes them and they have to turn inward because it's, it bombards men. And one of the best descriptions that somebody told me once, it's like go downtown or the busiest city in the world, stand on a street corner and imagine the smells, the sounds, the sights, the cars, the honking, people talking all around you. And imagine if you cannot filter out any of it and you're trying to figure out how to cross the street, that is often what it is. And so as they begin to heal, their brains, you know, like you said, with the blood flow and the scan or whatever it is and the inflammation, it allows them to begin to differentiate between what they should pay attention to and what they don't need to. Um, there's this, uh, it, it's called the ARAP1. One of the things that mercury thimerosal, which your son at his age was exposed to a lot in his childhood vaccines, but also aluminum in many of the vaccines today, it downregulates this protein called ARAP1. And ARAP1 is this, this gene that's supposed to trim, as you learn, and you, about the world and you experience things, um, things begin, are supposed to trim so that you don't end up with just this big mad mush of, <laughs> of things coming in at you at once. But if mm -hmm. that's downregulated, you never get this trimming going on. And it makes so much sense to me. Um, Dr. James Lineswiler, he is so brilliant. One time he speculated that the reason why children will stim and they'll rock and they'll flap their hands is because the central nervous system doesn't have a way of really communicating, um, except for through physical movement. And so if your immune, your central nervous system is overwhelmed with stimulus because, you know, your neurons haven't been trimmed properly, then what do you do? Your body says, do something. So you begin to flap your hands and rock. And that gives your, that calms your immune, your central nervous system, because it's now doing something. And then your brain can sort of find something to focus on. When he described that at a conference I attended once, mm -hmm. moms, moms in attendance began to cry. Yes. Because it was the first time, I mean, it can make me cry now, that they got an idea of what is happening to my child. And when you understand something is damaged, that might be able to be fixed, it gives you hope and it, it helps you understand your child and gives you hope, you know, for the future. Well, you know, another thing too is sometimes parents stop talking to their kids because they get no reaction and they get no nod of the head or smile, you know, like we do with our typical kids. Mm -hmm. And I kept talking to Ryan, no matter what, even though the lights were out and nobody was home, okay? And what was really interesting is after he was better, he knew things that he could have only learned when it looked like he was gone and not with me. He was mm -hmm. listening, even though he didn't act yeah. like he was listening. So I always tell parents, keep talking to your kids no matter what, you know, and, it, and it's funny because I can go to a party now and I sit down next to somebody who doesn't talk very much and I hold on a conversation for both of us, you know, <laughs> the people like that sitting next to me because I'm so used to doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to keep talking to your kids, even though it looks like nobody's home. Yeah. Lights aren't on. They are. They're they are. 
I, I, you're, I've heard that many times before that when a child then they begin the healing process through whatever path they have chosen to try, be it um, maps or, you know, the journey that you went on. And when they begin to talk, it is, it's the same thing. They begin to express things that they've learned all the way. They just didn't, they weren't able to communicate, but right. they were absorbing right. and learning. And I think of people in comas who come out of a coma yes. and say, they heard everything you said. Exactly. <laughs> and I was there. Yeah. Another thing I want to say is a lot of times people say, oh, well, I don't, you know, use prescription drugs. Well, you know what? We have to use whatever works for our kids. And if that's what works, you know, Ryan was very severe. The supplements wouldn't have been enough. And I know a national, a naturopath actually in Washington state who is wonderful. Um, I'm trying to think of what her name is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> a friend of mine, her son was really severe. She asked me to come out and speak in Arizona. And when I first met him, I kind of thought, oh my God, I don't know if this kid's ever going to be okay. And he was like about 15 and really, really, really affected. Um, and she homeschooled him all those years because he couldn't be in a classroom. And she actually found a doctor in Washington state. Actually, we went to the same doctor at first and her son got better with the same things we did with my son. But for her son, it wasn't enough. And she was someone who uh, was really into homeopathy and um, she went to a natural path in Washington State. Uh, Stephanie, I can't remember her last name. Oh, goodness, how can I not know what that is? I know who she is. She came every year to the Autism One Conference. But anyway, she asked her, her son had parasites and they had to treat the parasites and they were using a heavy duty med to do it. And she asked this doctor, well, can't we use anything more natural? And to this doctor's credit, who was a natural path, she said, we're going to use whatever works best. And this is what works best. And mm -hmm. I think parents have to remember that. Um, you know, sometimes we're shamed by people by not using all natural stuff. That was really hard for me to use medications. But I don't think my son would be okay today if I hadn't. No, I think it's important for all of us on journeys of, of healing and discovery to give each other grace that we are not living the life of the other person. And, you know, I am, I prefer for any medical treatment and approach as natural as possible, but yeah. I see a it's value. It's I just remembered. Okay. <laughs> but, and he's in Washington. Wonderful, wonderful, yes. yeah. But you know, there's a time and a place for for drugs yes. that you know in those emergency crisis moments. And you know, if we could just get more integration of the natural and those drugs, I, I think I think what can happen though is you get the dominance of the drug because those are usually highly profitable, whereas your your nutrient or food therapies are not, you know, and that's a whole politics of the thing, but sometimes you really need those big guns yes, and often it's, it's a, it's a balance. So I think we all try not to judge. Yeah. And you know, there's been a lot of work done now with cannabis. Just yes. Wonderful. You know, we all have the uh, receptors. Why can't I think of the name of the 
what what's in what's in cannabis where you we all have those receptors sorry i didn't i haven't read about it in a little while serotonin what are you looking yeah (laughs) (laughs) well uh we we all have certain receptors and it's not um uh, judy mikovitz talks about this she gives some wonderful presentations on the science of the healing that you can get with certain um, cannabinoids, cannabinoid receptors that we evolved with and that can be very helpful. So I think that we need to try all of those. And sometimes you start with the pharma meds, the big guns, as well as the natural things. And then sometimes you can pull the the drugs away and sometimes you can't, but you know, everybody's journey is what works. Everybody's journey is different. And any parent who has walked the walk you've been on um, knows that when you get to a place where your child is thriving and is peaceful and, and happy, you do all you can to protect that. You know, that, you know, it affects the whole family. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just affect child it affects the marriage my husband and i almost didn't make it because the stress from this is really a lot and it's really funny because um a friend of mine gave her copy of my book to one of her friends to read and she called her up one day and she goes oh my god did they get a divorce no 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 don't tell me (laughs) (laughs) it's all in there i mean it's all laid out you know and there's so many things yeah. Back the family, even for my daughter. My daughter mm-hmm. and I had a date every Saturday night where it was just the two of us. And my husband would take Ryan, and Ryan never wanted to leave the house without me. But the way he'd get him out the door is he'd say, Hey, Ryan, you want to go to Jerry's Hardware and look at the plugs and the outlets? You know? And so I <laughs> go to the hotel and ride the elevators because he loved elevators and he loved plugs and outlets and off they'd go for their little adventure and all week long Megan and I would be stashing food all over the house that Ryan wasn't allowed to eat you know all the sweets and the candy and stuff like that and Saturday night would come and we would sit on the couch and we'd watch the show Dr. Quinn medicine woman we'd eat this junk food until (laughs) I know And it's really interesting because, you know, we always name our dogs after famous sort of people. I have a Marty McFly and um, one of Megan's dogs is called Dr. Quinn and she calls her Quinny. And that was so important to her. It it is important. She actually has become an ABA therapist. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. We're, we're almost out of time here and I'm really, it's, I'm grateful for your coming on the show, all of the information that you have brought to us today about healing, about journey, about hope. Uh, If anybody can find you at autism-and-treatment.com. If you go to the uh, informedchoicewa.org website, to the radio show page, I've got links to that as well and links to your book. So anybody wants to go read it and be inspired by your journey. I think that's so important. And um, I love that you touched on at the end how important it is because this is a whole family issue. It's not just one child. The whole family is is affected and impacted. And we all have to give each other love and support and a lot of grace. And, and you know, I hear I all the music's playing them off. Us off, Marsha. It's all about hope. 
It's all about hope. And shows you what can happen. Thank you. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Have a great and hopeful weekend. Make it better. Make it better.